On today's podcast, I'm going to speak about Satan's coordinated attack against the Word of God and how he's taken centuries to do this. And one of his main pathways to do so is directly attacking the family life. Greetings. Thank you for tuning in to listen to Equipping the Bride podcast. I'm Brother Jason DeMars from Beaufort, South Carolina, a minister at Bethel Tabernacle. New episodes of this podcast are posted every Friday. You can watch this podcast on YouTube and listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you have any questions, testimonies, or prayer requests, please let me know at jasondemars.com. I also have free books and tracks available at my website, and shipping is free as well. May the Lord richly bless you. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, or good middle of the night. (laughs) Whenever you're listening to this podcast, I sure appreciate you, sure appreciate you listening in, and sure appreciate all the feedback that's been coming in. it's a, it's a small amount so far, but I'm 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 hoping that uh, you'll come through for me. Please go on to Apple Podcasts and uh, rate the podcast. It takes less time than it does to drink a cup of coffee. Please help me out. Go on there. I've got so far I've got seven ratings and all five out of five on Apple Podcasts. So thank you to everyone that's done that. Please appreciate uh, appreciate you very much if you would. Just take a few minutes to give me a review and write some honest thoughts and feedback for me there. Um, been a number of people that have uh, given me feedback on YouTube, and I appreciate that. Um, Sister Emily Curtis writes, thank you for speaking truth and speaking it out against the liars. John Collins, wow. And uh, also, I've gotten a number of emails and I'm slowly getting through those to be able to respond to them. I sometimes respond both um, right right on the email, but also sometimes here on the podcast. So I've got on my uh, video uh, why the Trinity of Persons is false. Um, I got some feedback from an Islamic man uh, named Muhammad. He says, you're right. You're right, brother. Ahmed Didat proved this years ago. Not sure who that is or what that's about. Uh, like he said, if one commits murder, can you hang the other two? It's uh, some silly logic there that I don't necessarily agree with, but um, that's the feedback. He says, was it the Council of Nicaea or Paul Church Fathers that brought out the Trinity concept? Of course, we've we went through that. It wasn't Paul, it was uh, the development, slow development over time uh, through some of the early church fathers that brought forth the concept, full de- fully developed concept of the trinity of three co-equal, co-eternal persons. That was not fully developed and accepted and put forward until the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD. He's, and this, uh, Mohammed says, Christians should worship who Jesus worshipped. That is the Father. But some 
of you Christian sects think Jesus is God, which he is not. All right. So I want to take a couple minutes to respond to that. I I respect you, uh, you, Muhammad, and I hope that you would take a listen to this. But um, number one is I know that Muslims don't trust the new the New Testament and the Old Testament that we have as Christians or Jews have that the Jews have uh, the Old Testament as well. They don't trust that. But I want to challenge you and say if God can't preserve the Old Testament and the New Testament, how can you trust God to preserve the Quran? Uh, he can't. And he's not God at all. God has completely preserved his word. And that word is very clear from Genesis through Revelation. And we have the most copies intact, and we can go back very, very far and see that the Bible that we have today is the same as the Bible that we've always had. So, number one is, we shouldn't worship Jesus, he says. Well, Scripture says that we should, John 5, 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father which has sent him. If you don't worship God through through Jesus Christ, you cannot worship. You're not worshiping God. You're not honoring the Father. If you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. See, everything that God does, he does it through Jesus Christ. And when we worship Jesus Christ, we're worshiping the Father. Hebrews 1.5 goes even further. Let's read 5, 6, 7, and 8 in Hebrews chapter 1. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Verse 6, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. So God commanded the his angels worship his son. Very clear. Then, then verse 7 says, And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Verse 8, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The Son of God is God. You say, say that doesn't make sense. He's either God or he's the Son of God. The Son here it says, the Son under the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So God is setting up Jesus Christ on a throne and commanding the angels and all of us to worship him. Now, this doesn't mean that he's a second God. No. This means he is he is God's visible image and expression. He is God made visible, God made manifest, and therefore he is God. Brother Branham even says he's God because God dwelt in him. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in the man, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. He is God, not a second God, and he's not his own father. He's not God in the sense of a oneness, understanding, and he's not God in the sense of a Trinitarian understanding. He's, he's God in the sense is 
God has put himself in fullness in this man in order to reveal himself to us. If we don't worship him, we are not worshiping God. This is scripture. This is very clear. All right, let's continue on with some of the feedback and questions. Uh, Pastor uh, BP Mishra from Odisha, India, writes in, God bless you, my dear, sweet brother Jason. Thank you very much for the book that you sent. It is really a nice and fruitful handbook for ministers. Really, you worked hard. I hope it will help me much. God may give you abundant spirit to do more for the bride. Thank you. Amen. I appreciate that. And uh, a reminder, once again, you can get my books for completely free. As God provides for me, I send out the books for free. If you want to support, if you're you're able to support this uh, getting a book, you don't have to. It's not required whatsoever. But if you're able to support that, that helps us send books out overseas to Africa, India, etc. Also helps us be able to uh, translate these podcasts into different languages. Right now, there's a desire for them to be in Farsi and to be in in, uh, Arabic. Um, There's also a desire for them to be in Spanish. So uh, can't do it without your help. So appreciate that. Um, There's a question from Brother uh, Joshua Paul. He writes in by email. God bless you, Brother Jason. Hope you are doing well by God's grace. Uh, I have a question to be clarified, Brother. Before the arrival of the coronavirus in my church during communion service, we had kosher bread and wine from the single cup. And finally, we have foot washing. But after the arrival of Corona, communion wine is being served in individual cups. But it is, is it okay to practice communion like that, brother? Are we fearing coronavirus and so that having wine in, in, in individual cups? Does Corona have more power than God? Obviously, no. Does having communion wine from single cups spiritually signifying anything? Or is it okay to have individual in cups? I'm eagerly awaiting your for your view on the above query. So I know people have very strong convictions about this, and and I understand that. He says, uh, from they they at the Lord's Supper, let's put it this way, at the Lord's Supper, they had one cup and they passed that cup around. And it seems like Paul is saying that, but it's not directly commanding if you do it another way uh, it's wrong brother branham himself served communion in the small individual cups so brother branham's example would be okay to serve uh, multiple small cups no problem so hope that answers the question um one cup would be uh, i think Uh, I like that way of doing it, but, you know, sometimes the church is so large. Jesus was serving 12 people. Um, Sometimes the church is so large, you need multiple uh, different areas for serving. So even one cup, well, you know, it would take hours and hours to serve. So churches have, even when they're doing the one cup concept, they have multiple uh, cups in different spaces along the church that deacons are holding in order to serve the communion. So uh, in itself, it would be just fine to do the small individual cups, no problem. 
All right. Thank you for questions and feedback. I certainly appreciate it and want to continue answering questions and uh, getting your feedback and reading your feedback out uh, on the podcast. I really appreciate that. Also want to remind you that you can support the podcast on a monthly basis by going to the Buzzsprout link that's in the show notes um, or description, and you can sign up to give $3, $5, $8, $10 a month to support the podcast. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. Again, it first covers software, then it'll cover uh, translation and helping get the word out further, and uh, and then books. So greatly appreciate that. Um, I had a, I'm back from the missions trip. I know I was off last week and felt bad I wanted to record, but I was so exhausted from... Uh, uh, the the ministry. I just couldn't get to it that week there. So I um, had a wonderful missions trip to minister the word in Turkey and Israel. Tremendous fellowship with the ministers and the believers there. I'll have some updates to follow on that. Um, if you want to get news, more missions news, you can also go to presenttruthmn.com and get information on that. So with that said, I want to go to our subject looking at demon powers attacking family life. Demon powers attacking family life. This is like uh, Satan's working through civilization, science, and education to destroy uh, the function of the church the function of the word, and to choke out the gospel. Even in an era where we can spread the word like this throughout the whole world, Satan can choke it out through his influence, through civilization, science, and education. Civilization means a relatively high level of cultural and technological development, specifically the stage of cultural development at which writing and the keeping of written records is attained, or it can mean the cultural culture characteristic of a particular time and place. Let's look at what Brother Branham says about these three things. Now, Satan had 6,000 years, and I'm reading from the sermon, The Power of Transformation. He says this on multiple occasions in different ways, but I thought this was the most cogent of all of them, and I wanted to read it to you. Now, Satan had 6,000 years to do it with his poison spray. How did he do it? Now, this is the striking part. And listen close now. He did it by civilization. Now, that sounds strange, but that's what. I'm going to make a statement here that will keep you guessing maybe for a few minutes. I hope not. But did you realize this? Now, I'm not trying to support ignorance, but did you know that civilization, science, education, and the things that we cherish so great today is the very instrument of Satan? Even civilization? Civilization never come by God. Civilization come by Satan. Now, I'll prove it to you by the word just in a few minutes. Civilization is not of God. For let me show you, in this civilization... The more civilized we get as we work through science, we're always killing ourselves, see? And this civilization has built up to its pinnacle now, and we got death in this civilization. We got sin in this civilization. We got sickness in this civilization. That can't be of God. 
So God in the his great own great kingdom that is to come, we will have a civilization, but it'll not be anything like this. It won't be by science. It'll be a faith civilization by the word. See? This scientific civilization we have is exactly Satan's trap. And that's what he has killed the people with. That's what he is killing us every day with. That's how as we eat each day, instead of living, we die. They have so perverted everything to even take just so much of this and mix it with this and hybrid this and that, that till it's dying. It's a dying race. And no matter what you try to do, you die. You seen that picture last night of those Africans. You know why? They never had penicillin. Them people live longer than we do. They don't even know why. Germs don't bother them. See why a germ would throw up his hands and surrender at them. See, because he he don't, they don't. Why? They haven't all been. See, we'll take science to figure out like a penicillin or something they'll place in us to take this disease out and it tears down something else. Makes a bedding ground for something else. See, now he don't do that. See? Now, any many of you people come from farms. Anyone knows that a good, healthy plant never needs to be sprayed. It's got a repellent on itself of life well, that a germ won't even be get on it. On a real, real healthy plant. It's this hotbed plant. It's this hybrid plant you have to baby. For instance, some of you fellows here are Westerners here. Look back in the time of the old longhorn cow. To say you got a better beef with your Hereford, ha- have you? You haven't. That old longhorn cow, not taking up for the old girl, but she could she could win her out here like a deer. Oh, she was skinny and everything. This Hereford, you pull hay under him when you take his picture up to his tummy nearly to show that he's beef to the hawk. And what is it? You turn him loose out there, he would die. Couldn't win her out if he had to. You have to feed him and everything else, take care of him, baby him around. He's a hybrid, see, but a real genuine old longhorn, just turn him loose. That's the way today with our Christians. We got so many have to soft soap to beg them, put them, make them a deacon in the church, pat him on the shoulder, make him some great position in the church. Oh, if you don't, why? He won't come in. If you don't let this one do this and this one do that, it's babying. Could you imagine genuine Christian being that? They were rugged. They were burly. Could you imagine St. Paul being that type of a Christian? Could you imagine St. Peter being now, if you don't make me general overseer, well, I don't, I might go join so-and-so. They were rugged men. They were men of faith. They lived with God. They walked with God. They were men of few words. They served God day and night constantly. You didn't have to spray them and baby them and offer them this, that, and the other. They were man, rugged. They were genuine seeds, not hybrid and denominations. If you, the Methodists, don't treat me right, I'll go to the Baptists. The Baptists don't treat me right, I'll go to the Pentecostals. If they don't treat me right, I'll go back to the Catholics or whatever more. See, they it's a hybrid. Have to keep them sprayed. Yes, Dr. Reverend, Brother, so-and-so. That ain't Christianity. Christianity asks no titles, asks no favors. It only knows God. It's original seed. It loves God it, and loves one another. There's no spraying on them and babying them and patting them around and saying, well, yes, well, sister, well, I believe it's all right for her to have short hair and this one not. Ah, oh, and there's so much stuff as that and let them get by with this. It's rugged. It's the gospel. Lay it out there. Let it fall where it will. Christians love it. All right. So to, all this to establish this point is that civilization, science, and education are all of the devil. That's not to say we shouldn't be intelligent. We have books, we have Christian material, we have uh, places where you can get a specific education 
to know how to be an engineer, to know how to do welding, to know how to uh, 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 do HVAC. These things uh, are different, but most of our education in the West is just a, uh, something to turn you into a better sinner, a better wicked child. I'll, I always say it's uh, a place where propaganda goes forth to turn people into little communists. And now today, they're from from a child, they're teaching them to uh, be perverts, teaching them that if they feel like they're a girl trapped in a boy's body, that they can go and get uh, uh, puberty blockers and destroy themselves, destroy their body physically. They're they're monsters, abusers, they're demons with skin and flesh on them in order to deceive and destroy society. So let's that's where we're at today. But how did it start? Let's look at it. Worldwide cultural civilizational development uh, began in the early 1800s with the Industrial Revolution. Even in the late 1700s, largely agrarian farming societies were divided into landowners and lower classes up until the Industrial Revolution, husbands and wives' roles were clear, obvious, undisputed. Work centers work work would center around the home, where the man does the hard labor, protects his family. The wife does the labor, centering around food production for the family, making cheese, making bread, uh, making meals, etc., uh, making making the clothes for the family, uh, uh, maintaining the home, etc., and, and the bigger jobs on maintaining home, building the home, etc., would be to the man. Husband provides, wife and children are uh, there involved in this process to keep the family going. These, This was what it was prior to the Industrial Revolution. I believe that this basic format is the format that God wants and anticipates for his children. Next, we have from the 1760s to the 1840s, the birth of industry and the middle class. Roles start out clear, but they get muddier and muddier. Women and children begin to enter the workforce, and traditional family roles uh, break uh, break down. All right, so there's, there's still a vestige of the family. The husband is the provider and the leader. The, the, the wife is... Uh, uh, the homemaker take care, takes care of the children. But then as things begin to break down, you see that uh, this is all broken and you have uh, children roaming the streets and uh, uh, men in the bar and, and their women trying to maintain the family alone. These things, these are some of the breakdowns that begin to happen. Those things happen at all times, but it become it, it. This was making it more normal for this to happen. Next thing that happened around the World War One, surrounding World War One, was the age of mass production begins further blurring the lines. Women went to the workplace. Women started uh, all the modern trends that we have today are basing from the time of World War One. 
Next that we have is the digital revolution. Everything goes from analog to digital, and now the lines are so blurred and there's such a battle that nobody knows really what they are and what they're supposed to be. So along with degrading, the degrading of society, you say industrial revolution and mass production is wonderful. We have less death and we have more food production. I don't believe anyone can look at the world today and say we have things much better now with our disconnect from our food source and our disconnect from knowing basic survival skills. We sit on computers and we stare at a screen and we uh, uh, scroll and scroll and scroll and we work on our computers and uh, we don't know how to work with our hands. We don't know. We don't know how to be connected to the land. Mental health problems are on the rise. Suicide is on the rise. It's a better world to sin in. We're living in Satan's Eden. These things are developments of Satan. His, his purpose from the start was attacking the family. That's what he was doing. When he started with the Industrial Revolution, he was attacking the family. You say, this was a development of capitalism. He was attacking the family. Don't forget that. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not all good. So there's some good things, but there's evil, and it's degrading society. So along with degrading of society as a whole, Satan specifically attacked gender roles by starting with something that seemed okay on some level, but that was, an, in fact, a rebellion against God's biblical order in the home. So Satan has worked through three waves of feminism to destroy the godly family home. The first wave was the promotion of equal contract and property rights for women. This was this was developed in the 19th century, in the 1800s, into the 1900s, early 1900s. Promotion of equal contract and property rights for women and the opposition to chattel marriage and ownership of married women and their children by their husbands. However, but by the end of the 19th century, activism focused primarily on gaining political power, particularly the right of women's suffrage. Now, remember, in America, the way the country was set up, you had to be a man, the head of a home, and a property owner in order to vote. If you didn't own property, you couldn't vote. And the head of the household was the one who got to vote. All right, so you see this process breaking down. Brother Branham tells us that when, when the the woman got the vote, it was the beginning of the end for America. The woman got out of her place when she got the vote. You say that's a radical statement. You're out of your mind. I'm not out of my mind. I have the Bible as my backup. The husband is the head of the home. He's the head of the wife. She's to submit to her husband. God made the man to be a leader both in uh, uh, the home, in, in the structure of society, in the church. This is Bible. You might dismiss it. You're an unbeliever. That's fine. Second wave of feminism was also known as women's liberation. 
It was challenging the cultural and legal validity of the patriarchy and the social and sexual hierarchies used to control and limit the legal and physical independence of women in society. We don't want to be under the authority of a man anymore. We don't want to be under uh, uh, God's designed order anymore. We want to be in charge and in control. Now, you again, you could start looking at this and say, oh, you're lumping in. Uh, women shouldn't get paid the same amount. Uh, you're, you're saying that women should be mistreated. I'm, not, I'm saying that women should be treated like queens and there should be such a high value and respect for women that when a woman comes into a, a bus or a train, a man should take his hat off and stand up and give her the seat. I think a woman should be honored, but she has to live in such a way that she she would be honored. But all this has broken down in our society and been destroyed. Now, I, I highly value uh, women. I highly value my wife, my mother, uh, the sisters around me. I, I, I feel blessed. I feel um, privileged to know some of the godly women that I do, uh, the wisdom and the love and the strength that they have is a blessing to me. Third wave of feminism was the freedom of sexual and bodily expression, fighting sexual harassment and continued expression of women's rights by dismantling any gender roles whatsoever. Now, who who I do not disagree with fighting sexual harassment. I'll be the first to stand with you to fight against it. F uh, sexual harassment and harassment of any time, abuse against women, should men should rise up to fight with all their might against abuse of women and children. That's our duty to make sure that stops and stops as a society. The sad part is the third wave produced the perverted pride movement, and the woman was deceived in all of this. She thought she would get her rights, but now she has her rights taken away from her, stripped away from her again. How men can pretend to be women and get all the rights women achieved and even more. The perverted pride movement has then produced the right for children to take authority over their parents and to decide to be given chemical castration pills to stop their puberty. It's the same pill that's given to sex offenders to stop their, uh, uh, to castrate them chemically. Now it's being given to children and they can have their testicles and their private parts removed and things turned into other things that are never those things and never can be those things. We can also connect all of this to the break, breakdown of modesty and in, in women themselves. Encyclopedia Britannica tells us, pants as an acceptable everyday clothing option for women didn't truly catch on until the mid-20th century. There were short-lived revivals of pants wearing in public by women such as World War II, World War I, when they worked jobs traditionally held by men, World War II, pants were more widely worn by women. You see that by the in the 1920s, Hollywood and its new film stars uh, uh, 
started wearing makeup and this these painted women all came and influenced all the women of American and Western society. Same thing. World War II, World War One came along, and beauty parlors came, and Coco Chanel, and all these dancers and different ones started sporting bobbed hair. All of this degrading took place. This was Satan's coordinated attack to destroy the family. If the family is not in order, God is not flowing through for the blessing and the atmosphere of the family. A wife creates an atmosphere at the home for her for her family. The man also creates the atmosphere by feeding and leading his family spiritually. So the age of mass production resulting from World War I produced the breakdown of womanhood. All of this, again, it's a direct attack on the family. And it's, and, and what is it? It's attacking the relationship of Christ and his bride. It's trying to get in between that. Just as denominations have flipped it on its head, now they say, we won't have you to rule over us. We will... We will preach the word the way we want to. We don't need the vindicated headship of Christ. God's plan for the family. Let's look at that. And how the through, that through the power of the Holy Ghost, a real godly family can overcome and defeat the attacks of the enemy against the family in this day. We're running a little extra overtime here, but I want to take the time to get through this. Colossians 3, 18 through 20, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. So submit to your husbands as the Lord would have you to submit. If your husband is an unbeliever and he's telling you to go against God's word, you're not. it's not necessary to you to submit in those things. Now you submit in the other things. But if he's telling you to go against God's word, if he's telling, if he's abusing you, you don't have to submit to that. But if he's leading you and he loves you and he's taking care of you, you submit in those things. See, that's why it says, as is fit in the Lord. If he's telling you to disobey God's word, don't do it. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So don't don't lead them with bitterness, with uh, 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 dictatorship. You lead them with love with kindness, with tenderness, but you lead. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. When Children, when you're obeying the Lord, when you're obeying your parents, you're pleasing the Lord, you're obeying the Lord. Honor your father and mother, This is, and your, so your life will be long in the land. It's the first commandment with a promise. So husbands lead by love, not bitterness, not anger, not hatred. Wives, submit to your husbands. Don't nag and manipulate and try to control them. Titus 2, 3 through 5. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior and as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, Good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Wives, you're supposed to obey your husband. 
You're supposed to be a housekeeper. It's not telling you to go and have a career. It's telling you to be at home and take care of the home. You say, I can't do it. I can't afford it. Obey God. How how far are you willing to obey God? First Timothy 5.14 says, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. What is he saying? Young women, get married, have children, be a housekeeper. Oh man, you can't say that. You got to tell women to have a career uh, and get an education. I, I'm not saying women should be ignorant and should be kept in ignorance and stupidity. I believe women should gain as much wisdom as they can, but I want to submit to you that the ways of the world is to get an education means go to a university. You can edu- There's ways of educating yourself apart from the world system. There's books that you can buy. There's, there, there's courses that you can take. I believe we should always be growing in knowledge and understanding and gaining understanding. But go after the things that God has called you to and be obedient to that. Choosing of a bride, Brother Branham says, Now I'm not much of this modernistic taste of women working. When I see these women with these uniforms on riding around this city on motorcycles as a police, it's, to, it's a disgrace to any city that will let a woman do that. See, see, as many men that's out of work. Without work, it shows the modern thinking of our city. It shows the degrading. We don't have to have them women out there like that. They got no business out there like that. When God gave a man a wife, he gave him the best thing he could give him outside of salvation. But when one goes to trying to take a man's place, she's about the worst thing that he could get a hold of. Now that's right. See, now we see the spiritual application. I know you, that you think that's bad, but it's the truth. We don't care how bad it is. We got to face up to the fact. That's what the Bible teaches. In 1957, and he has to pass that way, Brother Branham says she got no business in a defense plant. Women's place is at home with her children. Now, if her husband's sick and she has to work, that's different. But woman's place is at home in the kitchen. When she lives that, she's, leaves that, she's out of her place. Exactly right. Brother Branham is saying the truth, speaking the word. Verse Timothy 2.9, in like, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. That word apparel is katastole. It means a long dress, a dress that goes below the knees. So a woman is to wear a modest, long dress with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, you can have some modest jewelry, but don't wear ankle bracelets, don't wear nose rings, don't wear earrings. That's wrong, that's sinful, that's pagan in origin. But you can wear a nice ring and a, a nice necklace, even a nice modest little uh, bracelet on your on your wrist. That's fine. And... and uh, where it says broided hair, you certainly can braid your hair. Back then, they would put strands of gold and pearls, and they would braid them in their hair to show their wealth. That's not modest. Shamefacedness means to be shy. So your adorning should be a modest long dress, and it should be with shyness and modesty. Uh, marriage and divorce, Brother Bam says, notice now, but it's God is featured in character. There's no beauty that we should desire Jesus, but there never was a character like him on earth. 
That's God's vision, is that real beauty is in character, the, the type of person that you are. So men, women, when you're looking at the opposite sex and you're seeking to find a husband, look for character. That's the first thing, because that's what you're going to build your home around. I'm going to read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5, and make a few comments, and then we'll close. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or conduct of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, means reverence. So what is what is Peter saying? He's saying, don't preach at your husband, don't nag him, win him through your your transformed behavior. Now, that doesn't mean you don't witness the gospel to him and tell him what you believe. I think that goes along with the story, but leave it at that. Then win him through your behavior, your chaste conduct, right? Be subject to your husband, love him, take care of him. And through that, he'll be one. And he says, who's adorning? So he's he's talking about who's clothing, how she dresses herself, presents herself. Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on apparel. All right, so he's saying what what the focus should be. He's not saying don't get dressed or comb your hair, but he's saying don't let that be your primary vision and focus. But, verse 4, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a weak and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. God wants a woman to not be a bossy, controlling woman. He wants her to have a meek and quiet spirit. This is a great value to God. For after this manner, in the time, old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being subject <clears throat> excuse me, to their own husbands. Adorn yourself with the hidden, the inside man. Make your first vision and focus your inner being. And let that be a meek and quiet spirit. If you have a bossy spirit as a woman, God, that is not what God wants you to have. He wants you to have a meek and quiet spirit. So pray, ask God, give me a meek and quiet spirit. I know that's a great value in in God's eyes. So, Let's look back. I don't believe in the oppression of women. I believe in the protection and the value of women. I believe man has a place and a woman has a place. And we'll never truly be happy and joyful until we find that place. Man is to lead his home. Lead it spiritually. Lead it with financially. Leave it, lead it physically. Lead it in every way. You're the provider, you're the protector, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. Wives, you're to lead your children, you're to create an atmosphere of love and tenderness and sweetness and the Holy Spirit in your home. You're to be a meek and quiet spirit. Husbands, you're you're to be a leader, but you're not to be a dictator. You're to lead with tenderness and love. You're to listen to and connect with the hearts of your the heart of your wife and the hearts of your children. Children, obey your mom and dad. 
Don't talk back. Don't be don't be bitter and angry. Respect and reverence them. If you do that, your your life will be long and blessed. Follow God's principles in the home and you'll be provided for and blessed. You say, it's impossible. My wife has to work. Okay, find a way that she can work in the home and still be there to take care of the children and watch over the home. That's how it used to be back in the day. If you read Proverbs 31, you can see that she had some kind of home business. She was selling the goods that were developed there through the home, whether it be through the garden or through uh, selling eggs or selling chickens or uh, uh, doing uh, uh, some kind of home business. Let's just leave it at that. It could be broad or as narrow as you want that to be. But be in the home. Uh, It's such a different atmosphere that's created. If you're in the workplace amongst men, you take on a different spirit. If you're at home with children or working with other children, it's a completely different thing and completely different atmosphere. And your heart and your spirit set that tone for the home. And and I don't want to. I we don't need to get into all the details. That's the basic idea. Paul tells women, and and we should develop this and preach this, and it should be the focus not to go get an education and get a career. If you have to do that, you have to do that. Perhaps you have to. But that should be not the main vision. That should not be the teaching. He says to get married. Now, this isn't to be desperate and get married to some jerk. You follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You're careful. You're prayerful. But it says to the younger women, marry Bear children and be keepers of the home. This is scripture. This should be our vision. This what should, what she, we should be teaching our young our young ladies, young men. You should be taught to to provide. Learn how to be a provider. To work hard. To to lead spiritually, emotionally, physically. Amen. So if you have any questions, prayer requests, or testimony, any feedback for me, I welcome that, whether it be on YouTube or you go to my website, jasondemars.com. You can email me there. I certainly appreciate that. Take take the time to fill out a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this, and we certainly appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you for listening to Equipping the Bride podcast. New episodes are posted every Friday. I want to remind you that if you have any questions, testimonies, or prayer requests, please let me know at jasondemars.com. I also have free books and tracks available at my website, and shipping is free as well. Please, I ask you to remember the believers and the missions work in the Middle East in prayer. May the Lord richly bless you.